and done after a brief hiatus we are back and this week we're just addressing some listener questions because we've received so many questions from you and on this very warm okanagan week darren schmidt how are you i'm well we are uh we are back together again doing the podcast we are in the interior of bc and it is above 40 degrees celsius which reminds me of my favorite song about heat a song entitled The Heat Is On, uh, performed by Glenn Fry. I think I know that one. Yes. Apparently, this uh, was the feature track from Beverly Hills Cop in 1984. If you hear the song in your head, you're hearing a fun little tune uh, that basically embodies the mid-80s and the fun that those movies in that time period brought for everyone. So this song... Um, in terms of charts, I understand from the Wikipedia page respecting this song. In the U.S., on the Billboard Hot 100, it rose to position number two through the 1984-85 time period. And in Canada, on our chart, uh, it's titled RPM at that time, rose to number eight. So uh, the heat is indeed on. And uh, we're excited to be back doing some podcasting and addressing listener questions this week. Fantastic. And as I said, we have a backup of quite a few listener questions. So thank you, everyone, for sending them in. Uh, Darren is rushing to grab his favorite sound effect, signaling it is listener question time. All right, Darren, you want to start? Yes. So we have uh, a lot of questions. We're not going to get to every one in this episode, but uh, we'll get through as many as we can. Uh, The first question... Uh, is as follows. The listener says that uh, she's been separated for two and a half years. She hasn't filed for a divorce yet for a few reasons, one being uh, her ex-spouse and his mental stability. She says he has been voluntarily and involuntarily admitted to at least two hospitals over the last year. She says uh, that they have two daughters, ages five and three, uh, and they don't have any child parenting arrangements. She has them full-time. Unfortunately, she says he doesn't pay any support, nor has he seen them over the last year. He does speak to them over the phone, but not regularly, about once every month or two, she says. She says that uh, her ex-spouse is now demanding that she never let the children around any of his extended family members, uh, alleging that he suffered abuse as a child uh, and into his adolescent years and likely into an adult. Um, She asks, how much of a right does he have to make such a demand? Uh, And she asks in particular because she has summer vacation plans with the children and uh, says basically uh, as a courtesy and because she does like his extended family, she wants them to have a relationship with his extended family. She she says she doesn't share the same concerns about his family uh, that he does. Uh, Anyway, she basically goes on to say uh, she's wondering what uh, her position should be on this issue. So, Rob, uh, what are your thoughts? So I'm clear, and so our listeners are clear, this is limiting access to 
the former spouse, ex-spouse's extended family for parenting time. That's correct. So the ex-spouse's family apparently from the ex-spouse's perspective poses some risk to the children or the children would be at risk around his own extended family. He wants to prohibit the listener from having the children see his own extended family, particularly for this upcoming summer vacation that they have planned. That's an interesting question generally for parenting time uh, with one party or the other. So in this instance, if the listener wants to allow his, uh, the other party's extended family to have that time with her children and dad is not really taking a strong stance to say no in terms of making applications or really bringing forth evidence to say why not, generally there's nothing to say that couldn't happen. Dad would need to have some really good evidence on his part to prohibit those pieces because generally we don't check in on what one parent or the other is doing on their parenting time, assuming those are reasonable things. Uh, and I think this instance of just just because they're his parents or his extended family, so he gets more of a say in what happens to the children and their interactions with those people or not, not necessarily. What's your view, Darren? So whenever you're looking at parenting arrangements and a parenting plan for children, the first thing you always want to do is try and find agreement or consensus on what that is. Obviously, if you can't, your next best option is asking a third party to make that decision for you, likely a court, could be an arbitrator or some other third party that you opt into, but likely a court for most people that can agree. And a court is simply going to look at when asked to make a parenting decision about parenting time or how the children should be spending time with each parent or extended family. The issue is always the best interest of the children and that's it. And there's factors set out in the various pieces of family law legislation across Canada, the family law acts or the divorce act now does set out the best interest factors that a court must assess if the couple in this instance is married. Um, the court, if, asked this question would be obviously interested if any of the extended family do actually pose any risk of harm to the children but unless there's any significant corroborating evidence that these folks on his side of the family are a risk to the children i think courts generally take the view that it's presumed children should have maximum contact not only with both parents to their extended family as it gives them an opportunity to know their extended family, have a relationship with that extended family. Uh, th those generally are viewed presumptively as a positive thing. So I think unless uh, our listener here is prevented from having the children see that those extended family members by virtue of a court order, she's free to have the children interact with those folks. Absolutely. So um, we hope that that is... Uh, resolved by agreement between the listener and her ex-spouse despite his mental health problems and we wish her the best as she moves through uh, the separation process and hopefully things go smoother as, as things move along. All right, so let's move on to the second listener question. Uh, this listener said uh, that she saw one of my posts on TikTok and that um, she was hoping to raise a question on the podcast, which we always encourage. So if you're uh, following me uh, at family law underscore Darren Schmidt or Rob at, at Robert underscore Woodward, uh, and you want to 
send us a question, you can do so, of course, to our email account, lawyerstalkingaboutdivorce at gmail.com, which is how we got these questions today. Uh, so the crux of this question, she says, this listener's uh, ex-spouse, uh, who they, they were not married, they were in a common law relationship, the ex-spouse father divulged he is now making more income than he was uh, pursuant to a court order that was issued 10 years ago, which as a total aside isn't surprising. It's likely people's income would go up over time, and that's the case here. Uh, she goes on to say, I, I'm going through the inter- interjurisdictional support order process, or she's put the acronym ISO process for child support and special expenses, section seven expenses, things like braces and uh, special needs related expenses for one of the children. Um, she says, just like in the past court case, the father here, the other party, will not provide a financial statement and that the last time the court had to impute an income to him of $45,000 a year as he is a manager at an uh, automotive dealership and uh, didn't provide that information and didn't show up to court. Um, she basically goes on to ask, now that he has sort of divulged to her, it doesn't say how he's divulged, but since he's divulged that he's making more income than 10 years ago, but he won't provide a financial statement, she must go back down the route of asking the court to impute income to him. And her question says, well, how do I go about doing that? Um, do, do I simply look up information online? Um, she, she says she doesn't want the courts to think I'm greedy by saying his wage is high by looking at certain information online. But she says the last time they imputed an income to less than what he was making because he didn't show up or respond. And he told me verbally that was the case after the fact. She says, I'm at a loss. Uh, can I estimate his income super high or just provide some website quotes that have a high income? So uh, just the question here, Rob, is the listener here is likely heading down the path of updating a child support order that's 10 years old, but she anticipates that the spouse, number one, will not provide disclosure, which will, number two, lead to the necessity of imputing income to him. That's a great question, and I'd suggest right off the top because there's already a 10-year-old court order. They've already been in the litigation process. So the courts expect you to know what disclosure is. They expect you to be involved in these pieces. And I think for her to go back to court now and say, here I am again a decade later, and he's doing the same shenanigans that he was 10 years ago, not disclosing income, not being forthcoming, forcing me as potentially... um, a single parent, if she's reliant solely on that child support income, to jump through these hoops to seek this information again. Given you've been in this process, there's no reason that he shouldn't be forthcoming with all that disclosure, at least three years of disclosure per our current case law. But uh, as Darren and I will discuss in future child support episodes, potentially even longer going back uh, that full 10 years, as she suggests, he told her after the fact uh, that he earned more income after the court imputed. And I think that's a really good fact if she has more evidence, even more than just verbal evidence, between a conversation with him that he disclosed that to her, that she should explore that, bring that to a court's attention, and potentially seek those arrears of child support for the years he was underpaying. In terms of going forward, she says particularly she's concerned that a court may see her as greedy for seeking to impute again. Uh, Not at all. In my view, I see her as the 
potentially a grieved party for having to go through the onerous step again 10 years later of going back to court, uh, not only seeking refreshed disclosure, but potentially seeking to impute his income once again. And hopefully if she's before a judge that sees all of those facts, reviewing where it was historically, seeing her in the same place again, that judge would not hesitate to uh, engage our child support guidelines and potentially impute him once again. Uh, at a certain level, but again, even before reviewing the imputation rules and how she'd have to get there, uh, I'd want to potentially look at those arrears, and hopefully he steps up to the plate and he's a bit more forthcoming. What's your view, Darren? Yeah, so I think the first thing uh, we want to look at here is we we want to acknowledge that she won't even need to uh, basically work that hard on the imputation argument if he doesn't disclose his income. So if he doesn't disclose income, the court will be left with no other option but to simply impute income to him. And the court, when left and asked to make that decision, uh, they're going to be very favorable to the evidence provided by the party who is asking for support. So yes, providing some information from the internet about possible income that he might be making as a whatever his position is at the current date, that's uh, possible information. I'd be more interested in maybe Statistics Canada information about average earnings for people in his category of position. That's something a court probably would rely on a little bit more. On the disclosure piece, I would encourage our listener to go back and listen to episode six, our disclosure episode. Uh, and anyone that is interested in an in-depth discussion, I guess, about disclosure, uh, that podcast has all the information you might need to start thinking about disclosure. But, I mean, if the other party doesn't provide disclosure, they have an, a freestanding duty that's implicit to provide disclosure to you when their income changes. And the Supreme Court of Canada discussed this duty in its most recent decision, Colucci versus Colucci, which came out June 4th, 2021. We will discuss that decision on a future episode in more detail. But when a payor has income that has changed, the onus is on the payor to provide timely disclosure of the change of their income up or down so that child support can be adjusted according to the child support guidelines. If they haven't done that in, in this instance, then like I say, the court will gloss over that disclosure piece as step one very quickly because there has been no disclosure. They're going to have to impute income to him. Sections 16 to 19 of the federal child support guidelines provide the statutory guidance for a court in terms of how to impute income. I won't dive into that. That's a fairly in-depth analysis, but the listener can go and uh, check out those sections. But I think you're down the right path. You're going down the right path here, uh, listener, and um, you likely will not have too much difficulty getting some income imputed to him for the purpose of updating that child support order because child support is the right of the children. Well, thank you all for being with us as we address these couple listener questions. We'll have more episodes forthcoming, hopefully on a weekly schedule. As always, uh, please find us on TikTok at Family Law underscore Darren Schmidt and at Robert underscore Woodward. Any questions to lawyers talking about divorce at gmail.com. Thank you for being with us. Thank you.